Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel, bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you will not hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he commanded in Ephesians 5.11. God states in his word that he would rise up ministries in the last days to do mighty exploits that would turn many to righteousness. Now here with vital insights from God's word is pastor and author Joe Schimmel. Hello, folks. Welcome to the fastest half hour on radio here at the Good Fight Radio Show, where we learn to discern the difference between good and evil, light and darkness, right and wrong, and discover God's will for our lives. Last week, we began a two-part answer to a question regarding the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, uh, the unpardonable sin. The sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit uh, is very, very concerning, and I had a lot to say in last show about it. If you missed that show, you can just go to our Good Fight Radio website, and you can go catch that show there. We really got into what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We went into the context biblically where uh, the religious leaders were telling Jesus that he was, you know, saying of Jesus that he was, you know, doing his miracles by the power of Satan. In fact, that's what goes on in Matthew chapter 12 uh, and Mark chapter 3 without going through all the details. So we can get into a lot of other scriptures today. Let me just summarize it briefly. And that is that Jesus had healed a blind man there in Matthew chapter 12, uh, a man with more problems than just being blind, which is severe enough. And he was being heralded for his miracles as the son of David, the prophesied Messiah. Now, the Pharisees who had a stronghold on the religious community of the day were greatly jealous and they couldn't explain away his miracles which I think is interesting. And I went through a lot of scriptures point out that they actually knew he was the son of God. I point out that Nicodemus said that he and the other Pharisees were aware that only uh, he could only do, the, do it by the power of God and all these miracles he was doing. And I pointed out that uh, the religious leaders, Jesus said, uh, were like stewards of God's vineyard and said, when the son would come, uh, let us kill the son so we can take the inheritance. They were aware, not all of them, but many of them were aware uh, God had spoken in their hearts, made it quite clear that he was the Messiah, he was the son of God, yet they, uh, and they couldn't explain away his miracles. They couldn't say, hey, this was a fake miracle, you know, this was something, you know, akin to what we would see with, you know, many TV preachers today who are out to make a buck. I'm not saying all TV preachers, but many of them who use false signs and wonders to uh, get attention. No, these were miracles that were verifiable. These were dead people that had been risen. These were people that were blind that had seen at the uh, in the village gates and the city gates who could now see. These were uh, people that were paralytics who were walking around uh, lame and now skipping. And they had no answer other than to blame it on Satan. And they said that he does it by the power of Beelzebub, the, the ruler of, 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 of devils. And that's when Jesus said, all manner of sin shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and blasphemies uh, whatsoever they shall blaspheme. Even he that speaks a word against uh, him, himself, Jesus, he said, we'd be forgiven. That is, of course, if they repented and what have you. But he that speaks against the Holy Spirit uh, commits an unpardonable sin. In fact, it says in uh, Mark chapter 3, I believe it's verse 29, uh, that he said this because they said he had a demon. So basically, they were speaking against the Holy Spirit. That's what Matthew 12 says. They were speaking against the Holy Spirit, and they were saying that the Holy Spirit is a demon. They were basically saying he is a demon, or he is Beelzebub, the prince of demons, and they were basically uh, basically making the biggest blasphemy they could possibly make, which was to say that the Holy Spirit was the devil. 
Now, there are all sorts of blasphemies going around today and all kinds of different ways that people can blaspheme God. Uh, God's word warns that you can blaspheme God by your behavior. That obviously wouldn't constitute blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the scriptures talk about those who profess to know Christ, yet by their works they deny him. We can deny Christ by our works and not just by our mouths. But the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is very specific. It's a specific word spoken against the Holy Spirit and calling the Holy Spirit evil. Now, it's also interesting that uh, today the world is becoming more and more blasphemous. Uh, you know, re- I mean, it's becoming more and more coarse and more and more wicked and more and more sinister by the moment. Man, our world is really, really messed up. In fact, in December of 2006, a filmmaker by the name of Brian Fleming and another one of his associates started what they call the Blasphemy Challenge. And the Blasphemy Challenge started by was started by disgruntled atheists whose purpose was to get other atheists to come out as atheists and they challenged them to submit videos on a YouTube website that would record themselves blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They seduced other atheists into doing this by offering them a prize, which was really a sales gimmick to sell more videos. Uh, and those that fell prey to the challenge basically were going to what they believed to be the point of no return and would, quote, accept the consequences, end quote, if after their death they find that God does exist. In fact, let me read what blasphemychallenge.com says, quote, there's only one catch. We want your soul. It's simple. You record a short message damning yourself to hell. You upload it to YouTube. Instructions. You may damn yourself to hell however you would like, but somewhere in your video, you must say this phrase, quote, I deny the Holy Spirit, end quote. Why? Because according to Mark 3.29 in the Holy Bible, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus will forgive you just about anything, but he won't forgive you for denying the existence of the Holy Spirit ever. This is a one-way road you're taking here, end quote. By the way, you notice they don't even get it right. They they quote they from Mark uh, 3.29 where Jesus talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And then they turn that into, hey, if you just deny his existence, you know, uh, and you don't believe the Holy Spirit exists. I mean, how many of us before we were Christians, all of us before we were Christians, before we believed in the Lord, before we turned to Jesus Christ, we none of us believed in the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. You know, none of, none of us believed in the, the God of the Bible until we submitted to him. We might have believed in our brain. We might have made some kind of intellectual or mental ascent, but it wasn't until we repented and put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we were saved. No, that is not even blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is speaking against the Holy Spirit and speaking against him as evil, uh, insulting the Holy Spirit, purposely going out of your way to speak against the Holy Spirit. But having said that, and you might be thinking, wow, have I ever done that? I want to also point out, and I'm going to prove it to you from Scripture, that even the Pharisees who were at least borderline, you know, doing that sin, borderline committing blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because they said that Jesus was, you know, filled with Satan or he's being used by Beelzebub. Jesus gives them, even after they do this, an opportunity to get right with God. And that's what I think almost every theologian misses, every commentary. I've read so many things on this sin and there's something staring us in the face where Jesus gives an opportunity, even for those Pharisees, to still get right with God that somehow goes over the head of so many people. Now, I'll get into that in a little bit, and I want to point out to you, you say, well, wait a minute, they committed the sin, he says it can't be forgiven, yet then he forgives them of it. No, I wouldn't argue that. What I would say is, uh, what actually constitutes the sin? Well, it's blasphemy speaking against the Holy Spirit. However, what I would ask is, is it a one-time uh, act, one-time slip of the tongue, or does it constitute something more? Is it a a resolve to, uh, is it a present tense type of thing where somebody digs their heels in the ground and speaks against the Holy Spirit and refuses to submit to God and submit to the Holy Spirit and what have you? Well, 
uh, just hang on there because we'll get into that in a little bit and you're going to see where this goes. By the way, I want to say this, the Blasphemy the Challenge website, and, and unfortunately all these young people, you know, just very young and, you know, not very experienced in life and very rebellious, got on this trip and began to make videos blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Very, 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 very heart-wrenching and very, very sad. I think it's interesting, by the way, these um, guys that are at the helm of Blasphemy Challenge, I think it's interesting that they don't blaspheme Allah. Uh, I haven't seen that anyway. They don't blaspheme Muhammad. Why not? Uh, it's because they're wimps. Because they know if they spoke against Allah and Muhammad, uh, they'd lose their heads. And they look at Christianity and the Holy Spirit and Jesus as an easy target. Because guess what? You know, Christians are called to turn the other cheek, you know? And they can get away with it and they can sound like, oh, look at how tough we are. Really, they're wimps. Because you know what? They would not speak against Allah and Muhammad publicly among an, an Islamic nation. So really, these guys are, it's really, really pathetic when you really think about it. Uh, it reminds me of Bart Ehrman, one of the greatest critics of Christianity today. Uh, he was asked in a, a, a live forum, you know, hey, how come you don't speak against Islam? He says, because I value my life. You know what, folks? We'll be back, and don't touch that dial. Not in three minutes, in less than 30 seconds. You're listening to The Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how they relate to family, culture, and the church. If you'd like to learn more about our life-changing resources, such as They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll and The Submerging Church, check out our website at goodfightradio.org. All right, folks, welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. We're discussing uh, the question of the unpardonable sin or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to say this. There are uh, many theologians and pastors and commentators who believe that you can't commit that sin today, that it's something that could only be committed uh, in the circumstances in which Jesus found himself in the first century and that you can't duplicate those particular circumstances. Therefore, you cannot uh, suffer the same consequences and can't even commit the same sin. In fact, Bernard Franklin writes this, quote, If it were possible for it to be committed, would there not have been some warning against it? Were there any danger regarding it? Would the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the books of the New Testament, have failed to warn against its commission? Paul does not even mention the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The sin in question was actually committed in the days of our Lord's ministry on earth, but it does not necessarily follow that it could be committed in his absence, end quote. Now, he says it does not necessarily follow. That's uh. Not a conclusive statement even by Mr. Franklin, although I understand his position and I respect uh, many, many, many teachers who hold that conviction that he can't actually commit it today. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's still on earth today. He's still active in believers. He's still convicting, as Jesus said he would, the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, uh, the testimony of the Spirit. Uh, the book of Revelation talks about those who have the testimony of the Holy Spirit, the testimony of Jesus, uh, which is a spirit of prophecy. Uh, Jesus said, don't premeditate what you speak when uh, the Antichrist appears and you're taken before uh, world leaders and what have you because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance at that time. Well, can people not speak against the source of the utterances of believers in the end times? Can they not speak against the Holy Spirit today? I would say certainly they can. And as for the argument that the Apostle Paul didn't mention specifically uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, well, there's many things that Jesus gets into throughout the Gospels that Paul doesn't specifically mention. However, guess what? After the resurrection, after those particular and specific circumstances availed in the first century uh, with Jesus' ministry, after his resurrection, guess what? There still seems to be scriptures that reference an unpardonable sin. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, let me read. It says this, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. Okay, so if you see a brother commit a sin that doesn't lead to death, you should pray and God will give him life. 
wait a minute, it doesn't lead to death, but yet God has to give them life. Does that make sense? What he's talking about is there's certain sin that leads to death that uh, is irrevocable, that is one that one would not be able to receive pardon for because he's obviously talking about being restored and it says, and God will give him life. He's obviously talking about somebody coming back to life. And that would fit James 5, 19 and 20 that says, brethren, if any of you turn away from the truth and one converts him back, he'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. So there you can see a brother can have a multitude of sins, turn and repent and come back to God, and his multitude of sins can be forgiven, and he can be restored to life, uh, be brought back, as it says in James chapter 5, 9, 20, from spiritual death. However, John goes on to write, quote, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there's a sin that does not lead to death. So John is concerned about certain people having committed a sin that leads to death that he says, I'm not even saying that you should pray for such a person. Now, what in the world is going on here? Because it seems so vague, and it kind of, you know, if you just read those verses isolated from the context of 1 John as a whole, you might be, yeah, it's going to be a real head scratcher. But understand the context of 1 John. In 1 John, there was incipient Gnosticism. There were these insurrectionists who had infiltrated uh, the churches at Ephesus. Paul deals with them when he writes to Timothy, when Timothy is to stay at Ephesus for some time and these uh, demonic type entities uh, that, you know, Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that the Holy Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some, he says, will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Well, in 1 John, John's concerned about these demon-possessed people, these Gnostics who are teaching that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. He was merely some eon or some avatar, a messenger like other messengers in the past, and that he didn't become flesh because of Gnosticism, everything created by Yahweh is evil, everything physical is evil and what have you, and and and, and Jesus wouldn't have become, you know, or Christ, I should say, wouldn't have become flesh in their minds. Yet John warns against this because God created us in his image, and he also created us uh, flesh and blood, and he created us in material bodies, and he pronounced it good. Uh, our bodies are not evil, uh, per se, by way of creation. We certainly become evil, and there's an agency within our bodies which we identify as the flesh, which is a sinful nature bent against God. However, listen to what John says about uh, this false confession by these demon-possessed people who are channeling demonic entities, and you'll get a little bit of the context of 1 John, then I'll give you a little bit broader context from there, and then you'll understand what's probably going on in 1 John 5, 16 and 17 about a sin unto death that was not to be prayed for. 1 John chapter 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now that comes right on the heels of the last verse of 1 John chapter 3, verse 24 that is, which speaks of those who, he says, quote, we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us, end quote. So he's contrasting the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer with the work of demon spirits who are making false professions claiming that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh. 
folks, what's going on there? These insurrectionists were denying the confession of true Christians and the Spirit's agency, the Holy Spirit's agency, which was the declaration that Jesus had come in the flesh. So what they would have been doing was saying, hey, we're not the ones that are demon-possessed. It's not Satan that's using us. Hey, you Christians who are confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, those utterances are from the Satan. They would have, they would have simply reversed it. And what's happening is these insurrectionists would have been calling the power of the Holy Spirit the power of Satan. And that would have been akin to what was happening in Jesus's time when uh, not too many years prior to that, uh, during his incarnation, when he warned the uh, Pharisees against saying that the Holy Spirit was the devil. Now, let me add to that a passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. It says this, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice of sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Did you catch that? Who has insulted the Spirit of grace of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will pay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. There's again, folks, insulting, speaking against the Holy Spirit of God. And here, uh, the context here, by the way, isn't someone who fell into sin and then repented and turns back to God. The context here is one who turns away from Christ, turns against Christ, and calls him just a common man, tramples his blood underfoot, and speaks evil of the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, Justin Martyr in his dialogue with Trifo, a second sin apologist for the Christian church, he actually mentions how Christians uh, who would forsake the faith, how they would be admitted back into the Jewish synagogues. And he said that they had to publicly renounce Jesus as a common man, as as not being the Messiah, and renounce the miracles that he had done and, and the Holy Spirit. They had to renounce the Holy Spirit behind the miracles. And that gives me a glimpse, I believe, into what was happening here uh, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Christians, more than likely, if they were to be admitted back into the synagogues, would have to speak against uh, the very source of Jesus' miracles and agree with what was common in those days, the Pharisaic belief that Jesus was a sorcerer. At least that's what they were teaching. In fact, the Babylonian Talmud reflects that. Uh, there you have the Jewish leaders saying that Jesus was a sorcerer, the bastard son of Mary and what have you. And here in Matthew 12 and Mark 3, we see basically the same thing. And Hebrews 10 seems to reflect that. Again, that's after Jesus. That's post-resurrection that we see that you could still uh, insult the Holy Spirit and still there would be no sacrifice for sins. Okay, folks, we're nearing the end of the program, so I need to share with you the verses that I told you I'd share with you. And that is scriptures that actually let us know that, hey, guess what? Even the Pharisees who were saying that Jesus was possessed by the devil, Jesus still gave them an opportunity, even after warning them against the unpardonable sin. We know that because in verse 24 of Matthew 12, we read, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And then Jesus had warned them in verse 32 of the same chapter, a few verses later, and whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. However, folks, listen to what he says to these same Pharisees who had just said that the Holy Spirit was Beelzebub. Listen to what he says in the actually the very next verse, verse 33. He says to them, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. What's he doing, folks? He's letting these people know, the same Pharisees, who just had said that he was operating by the power of Beelzebub, and he had just warned not to commit the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. 
he says to them that they can still make the tree good. In other words, folks, if you've spoken a word and you're wondering, oh no, I'm damned forever because I said something and I, I didn't think about it or I, I, I can't believe I said it, and you know, but that's not my heart or whatever, that's not where I want to be. Well, guess what? Jesus said to those Pharisees who had seen the greatest uh, explosion of the Holy Spirit's power in their midst beyond anything that we have seen that after they had pronounced the Holy Spirit, Beelzebub, he tells them they can make the tree good. What's that mean, folks? That seems to mean that he was warning them against the unpardonable sin, and their one utterance was not enough to constitute the finality of that sin, that it was something beyond just one utterance, that it was something where they'd have to dig their feet in the ground and in their emboldened hatred for God, take such a position that basically they'd cut themselves off from God forever. And I think what's going on here, in my personal opinion, folks, is the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to Jesus. He's the one who did the miracles through Jesus. He's, Jesus relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, if you don't believe my words, believe the miracles. So that was the, this, he, he says one, the greatest miracle he would give them as a sign, a witness, was the resurrection. And Jesus rose by his own power, by the Father's power, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you reject the witness of Jesus' life, you reject his miracles, you reject the witness of the Holy Spirit, you reject the Holy Spirit's uh, testimony about him, well, guess what? You're rejecting the very testimony, the very agent, who's the one who brings us to Jesus. And if you cut off the hand, so to speak, you reject the one who would draw you to Jesus. Well, guess what? Of course, you'll never be forgiven because you'll never come to Jesus. Now, the question is, can you come to Jesus? Yes. Jesus said, make the tree good. Now, if you've committed that sin, the unpardonable sin, if you've gone to the degree to where you've actually gone beyond what the Pharisees have done here, guess what? Guess what? You wouldn't want to turn to Jesus. You'd want nothing to do with him. The Holy Spirit wouldn't draw you. Nobody can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father draws him, and the Father draws us by his Spirit. Well, you would have no desire for Jesus at all. So if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be right with God, if you want your sins forgiven, you have not committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus promised you this. He promises everyone this. John chapter 6, verse 37, he said, Whoever comes to me, I will not cast away. There's not one case in the New Testament where you see a repentant person, uh, truly repentant, truly seeking Jesus, come to him where he rejects them. In fact, we're told in Romans chapter 11, even of Jews uh, who had rejected Jesus, who were cut off there in Romans chapter 11, it says that they were cut off, but it says that God is able to graft them back in again if they do not continue in their unbelief. And it goes on to say, I believe it's verse 29 of that same chapter, that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. In other words, he still offers this gift to them. In fact, Jesus says he stands at the door and knocks. If anyone opens the door, he'll come into them and fellowship with them and, and they with him and sup with them. We need to be warned though, because in Hebrews chapter three, verse six and following, it warns that we not harden our hearts, that we do not get to the point where we can't hear the Holy Spirit. And verse 12 says, see to it that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and fallen away from the living God. See, the scriptures warn that even though God knocks and God brings us to repentance, that we can harden our heart against him and refuse to come to repentance. And the scriptures warn that he that continually stiffens his neck will suddenly be cut off without remedy. So today, is the day of salvation, folks. Now is the acceptable time of salvation. Now is the time to get on your knees and get right with God because you're going to go into eternity. And the Bible says life's like a vapor. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. The most important decision you'll ever make is where you'll spend eternity. doesn't matter how much money you make. doesn't matter how popular you are. None of those things matter ultimately. What matters is are you right with God? Have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? He died for your sins. He rose again. And you can only be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So I encourage you right now, embrace him and he will not cast you away. Come to him and he will receive you. 
Well, folks, we want to thank you for joining us today at the Good Fight Radio Show. We look forward to being with you next week. Until then, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your hands on the plow. Press on to know Jesus and make him known. May God richly bless you. You've been listening to pastor and author Joe Schimmel on the Good Fight Radio Show. To learn more about Good Fight Ministries, please visit goodfightradio.org, where we feature many eye-popping and life-changing resources on DVD and CD, as well as an archive of previously aired shows. You can visit our podcast page at goodfightradio.org to find many of Pastor Joe's full Sunday morning teachings. If you've been blessed by this show and would like to share this blessing with others, you can help support our ministry by visiting our donate page also at goodfightradio.org. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We thank you for tuning in. Join us next time on the Good Fight Radio Show. Love life, it comes down to just one thing.